0: Uh, let's, let's turn to Acts chapter 11, and uh, we'll get into the Word Come on, here today. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And so, you know, we've been kind of traveling through the book of Acts, diving into the depths uh, of what uh, amazing news that God was bringing to His people and to many other people. Uh, you know, we've seen Jesus resurrect from the dead. Uh, and then, you know, impact the Jews and see these Jews convert uh, to Christianity. Uh, and more than that, you know, they're, they're the half-brothers, the Samaritans. Uh, we've seen them accept the gospel message and and God allowed them into his kingdom, which was just like mind-blowing uh, for them. And, and he even, he even let in, as we looked at eunuchs, uh, people who just were not meant to be a part of uh, the kingdom, but were promised in Isaiah. Um and the last two weeks, we've we've surged on into the Gentiles. Right. And it's just been this kind of like, whoa, the Jews, could they couldn't understand like, really, even these people are going to be a part of God's kingdom. Yeah. Um, this was unthinkable. Right. But Jesus was asserting his dominance on go. foreign soil. Mm-hmm. And also his kindness to all nations. Uh, that even though there were other powers at play, that God, he he was above them all, and through Jesus it was possible, but it also came at a heavy cost. They were beaten, they were flogged, uh, they were stoned, and some even killed. Yeah, and it's just like whoa, like okay, like God's kingdom is not just about being comfortable. Uh, it's about hey, He's going to do great things, but sometimes it'll come at personal cost to us. Um, but as we see here, and as we pick up in Acts eleven. That sacrifice that was made by a man named Stephen, who was stoned to death, led to this great uh, dispersion and and outspreading of the gospel. Uh, Which is just amazing that even though sometimes things in your life can look like, what is going on here, that God can use it for good. Even if it seems like, what is going on? Um, And so let's, let's read Acts chapter 11, starting there in verse 19. It says... Uh, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. And it's interesting, right? This is not just... uh, Peter is not just the one who's confused about who should be in the kingdom. Everyone's only sharing with the Jews at this point. But then it goes on in verse 20 and says, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And we'll stop there and we'll pick, we'll pick it back up and read the rest of it. But I want to focus here on, on, on a few things uh, in the start. Um, and so, obviously, as, we, as we've said, from Stephen's death brought about the dispersion uh, and the spreading of the gospel. Uh, but it says here that, that some also began to speak to other people, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Uh, and these are probably just uh, Greek Jews. Uh, and they were spreading in Antioch to more Greeks, more people who they thought, hey, these guys need the message too. Uh, and that place, Antioch, uh, back then, this is Syrian Antioch. There were many Antiochs uh, back in the day. Uh, there was actually 17 of them. Uh, so I'm sure they'd be kind of, kind of confusing, being like, okay, which Antioch are you from again? Um, and um, it, was, it was interesting, you know, I, I find that like whenever I'm writing a sermon, I always end up on these random tangents. Uh, and, so, and so I found out that here in America, there is 88 Washingtons in the U.S. Wow. Isn't that... That's crazy. Like, I, I know there's, like, a state and there's a city, but there's also 88, 88 of them. So I guess they couldn't think of any other names. I guess uh, Washington. He's a good guy, Washington. Um, hopefully you appreciate that life-changing fact. So you're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, but this place, Antioch, there was about... It was about 500,000 people there. Uh, so this is a pretty... It's a pretty big city. Um, I mean, it's kind of half half-ish of this place, Hampton Roads. Uh, And it is estimated that a seventh of the population was probably Jewish. Wow! Uh, So that's probably a good chunk of them who were Jews. And I guess that that was who the people, when they were spread, were focusing on. But some said, hey, look, there's six-sevenths other people around here that probably need Jesus too. Um, So in Paul's day, this was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So this is a big deal. This is a big place. And God was saying, look, this foreign soil, let's bring it here. And so we see there in verse 21, it says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And the whole point of the book of Acts is it's not about us. It's not about the apostles. It's not about who's spreading it. Really, you know what? It's God's hand involved. It's the, you know if, if God wasn't involved, nothing would happen there. They wouldn't be able to change this pagan city. No way. But the Lord's hand was with them. Uh, and even for us, that's an encouragement for our lives. Right? You might think of yourself and think, I'm just kind of like a normal guy. Maybe you think you're awesome. I don't know how your mind works. God can use you whether you're either side. Um, and, and that's an encouraging part. And so they sent Barnabas. And this is the first time they have not sent an apostle to confirm the work. Barnabas, uh, he was just a great disciple. Um, and he says, man, I, I, he says, verse 22, he could see what the grace of God had done. Isn't that awesome? It's not, I could see what these men had, you know, how strong they were in the faith. No, they could see what God had done. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, that should be our focus. And it says, verse 24, that a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And so my first point today, and even on the next slide, slide, there we go, uh, is God adds to his body. And this word, um, brought to the Lord, is used consistently in the New Testament, that Luke continues to use it again and again. Uh, In Acts chapter 2, verse 41 It says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The word added there is brought to the Lord. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The sense of growth means to be brought to the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 14 of Acts. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. That same word used is the word where we get prosthetics from. Uh, I would butcher the Greek if I tried to say it, so I'm not going to. Just trust me, it's where we get prosthetics from. (laughs) Uh, And so it's a word used consistently for growth. And I guess when we think of prosthetics, we think of you adding something so that it is advantageous to your life. So in this sense, an arm, a leg, an eye, a hearing aid, whatever it is, normally it's it's an additional part. And so when they were brought to the Lord, it's not just like, great, now I'm in Jesus and I'm really good and happy. It was like, no, now you're advantageous to the body. Now you're a part which is going to be added on. Not that the body can't function without you, but you when you're added, you're meant to help the body. All right? And so I think for all of us, if you've been brought to the Lord, really consider in your life, are you someone who is adding to this fellowship because that is God's plan for you that is his vision for you uh, and it's not to advance ourselves but it's to advance God's kingdom and so if you're sitting here today if you're in Christ you're an advantage to God's body take confidence in that maybe some of you guys feel like "Man, I don't really add anything to this fellowship no God says you're an advantage And be confident in that. Don't worry about what you think. worry about what the scriptures say about your life. Uh, Because some people here, and and even for myself, uh, when I read uh, verse 24, it's like Barnabas comes and it says, He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It's easy to think, well, Barnabas must have been a really good guy and made the church grow. And so he's the reason. But but that would be to miss the mark. Right, exactly. That would be to not understand what the scripture has already said. No, it was the Lord who was worth working. And so even for you, like I, I know it's easy when you when you see things happen in your life. Like it can be tempting to go, look what I've done. Look at the great things. Look at the growth that I've brought about. I need, and maybe you think, man, maybe I need to be more full of the Holy Spirit and more full of faith. But again that would be to miss the mark no the lord will use the lord will add to his number Uh, and it says that in in acts 2 47 that the lord added to their number so in a sense it's really the lord adding to the lord and that's it (laughs) the lord adding to the lord um he's the one causing it to happen he's the one bringing them to them so he's both the source and the goal Uh, and so i think as a church it 's important that, that that we repent of a, of a self centered Christianity that's focused on my good deeds look what I 've done no this is the whole this is bigger than you it's the Holy Spirit working and I know for me like personally that's just that's just so awesome that it takes the pressure off how off me you know sometimes you can feel worried and anxious about how you know I'm actually an effective disciple or but, but this takes that, that pressure off. Hey, the Lord is going to continue to work. He's going to work on soils that they didn't think would be ever possible. And so, so likewise, in your workplace, wherever you are, the Lord can work. He can. Because if there's anything that I've learned from my Christian life, it's not about me. You know, I, I, I grew up in the church. My parents were, um, they led the church in Melbourne. And up until the age of 12, I loved it. You know, I loved being a part of the church. I loved Kids Kingdom. And it was, it was just a phenomenal, I don't know, experience. I had great friends. I felt very safe. Uh, but then once I kind of, I don't know what happened. Maybe there was testosterone involved. Um, whatever it was, I hit about 12 and it all kind of went downhill. I began to really hate the church. I began to really hate Being a part of the teens. I used to think... And I used to even call my friends like... These guys were lame. But these are the people I'd grown up with my whole life. Um, I I really looked at people in the church I thought... Man, that guy's just a hypocrite. And When I saw that, I was like... Well, I'm not going to do that. That's lame. Um, I felt pressure to become a Christian. I really did. I felt like... You know, there was people... It wasn't the people. It was just like... I felt like everyone was looking at me and like... You know, he's the preacher's kid, so... He should be a good kid, and there was just this pressure that I felt, um, and I was I was rebellious, you know. I wanted to run away from home. I wanted to do my own thing and uh, and not be, you know, Christian. Being a Christian that was the last thing I wanted to do, but but God really humbled me, you know. God really worked in my life, and I got more and more what I wanted from the world, but it was empty, you know. Whether it was the attention from from girls, it was empty, um, I, and. And I realized, man, God had just been working in my life. and brought me to this point where He stinking humbled me. You know, I remember just realizing the damage of my sin. And when I saw that, I was like, man, like, this is stupid. Like, why am I trying to live for myself? It just hurts everyone around me. And so my life kind of changed. And there was this massive, like, okay, here I was before, arrogant, rebellious Brandon, and then... There was just this kind of like turning that occurred. Uh, and I began, you know, when I, I, I got baptized and I started to share my faith with most of my friends. Uh, and some came to church, some came to teens, but none of them became a disciple. And I was like, man, like, I've really tried to make a difference here. Like, I'm, I'm trying to do something with my life and, and no one is listening. No one's... And I kind of got a bit down. And um, I, I remember I started to like this girl at my school. And she was kind of popular. Um, and I just remember thinking like, man, I'm going to fall away because of this. You know, there's this girl that I like and I don't know if I can do this anymore. Um, but again, I, I realized this isn't worth it. It, it wasn't worth it. Um, and so I turned again. <laughs> and I started to get mocked at school for being a Christian. You know, I think in Australia, it's a little different. You know, it's not, it's, it's lame. Like this is... Um, people would ask me like, oh, sorry, man, I didn't pray for my apple. Can you please pray for me? And they're just like trying to mock me. Or they're talking about, hey, man, can you exercise, are you going to exercise the demons out of me? I'm like, what is going, like, it's just weird stuff that people are saying. And I just kind of remember feeling a bit hopeless. Um, And not, I wasn't doing the best spiritually. Uh, And all of a sudden, this this random guy kind of come up to me and he was like, oh, I heard your dad's a pastor. Uh, And this kid was like the guy who was, he, he was in all the fights at school. Like, I remember he had, like, locked the door and he, he, all the teachers were trying to get in and he was fighting this kid in the bathroom and all the guys were outside, like, yeah. And uh, But this was the guy who was like, I heard your, your, your dad's a pastor. And, and he's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, why don't you? And he, and he came to church. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And, and then a few months later, he became a disciple. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I'm not doing well spiritually, but. God is kind of like bringing this person to me Um, and I was like I was blown away by that. I literally didn't do anything and then two or three months later, his friend became a Christian Uh, and you know that was my final year of high school and I left with two kind of my best friends uh, who became Christians through that Um, and I was just amazed and it just reminds me you know what it's not about me. It doesn't matter how I do. It doesn't matter all these things. God uses anybody, everyone, any anytime, any place. Yeah. And he can use you too. That's right. Right? And so normally the only thing standing in the way is, is you. Right. You're just going to trust God and let him take control. Because he will add to our number here. But are we going to stop him? Are we going to fall away and stop fighting? You have to figure that out in your own life. Because even in this story, it wasn't Barnabas. It wasn't the man of Cyprus and Cyrene. It was the Lord's hand that was with them. And that's all that mattered. Uh, And it's not you who will change Hampton Roads. Your workplace. It will be God's sovereignty changing Hampton Roads. So so think about that in your life. Because for me, I've seen that it's only God's sovereignty that, that brings these things about. And I believe... We need to constantly be reminded of this because we tend towards a self-centered Christianity. We tend towards like, yeah, it's about me, but it's not. Um, And so think about that this morning. Moving on. um, And we'll kind of talk about this idea of what it means to turn. Because there in verse 21, he makes it clear that the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And so in Christianity today, Sometimes it can almost become so much about belief that the idea of turning has been lost. Because here, those who believed—it's clear—they turned. But t- today's culture emphasizes heavily on belief, right? And here, in my second point: believe and turn. Here's some of the kind of like little Pinterest or Instagram photos that I found, uh, and some of them are just. They're nice and cute, but they kind of lack depth to them, right? One of them is believe in yourself, visual meditation. Like, what is that? I don't even know what that means. I believe in love. I'm not like, okay. Uh, trust God and believe in good things to come. That's out there. Trust God and believe in good things to come. Hey, if these, these guys believe in good things to come and they were stoned, it's, not, it's a bit different to what we think is good things. Uh, What matters most is how you see yourself. Well, not really. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) I'm going to leave that at that. (laughs) Conceive, believe, achieve. All these things, it's all about me and what I can do and how I view myself. You know, the Bible never talks about this so heavily focused on, oh, I need to believe in this in order for it to happen. It's no, the, God will work and He will help us turn. And, and this idea is not the Bible's idea of belief. Um, biblical faith is hey, you know what? I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and I submit to Him. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 26 this church is making such an impact that the disciples get a new name, Christian. That they had turned their lives so much that they, they now looked like that guy Christ. Who was killed and so for, for for today's christianity sometimes it's like well the turning is like an option or it's those um the, the disciples if, if you're you know if you're kind of a disciple and you're living this really religious life you've turned and you're like jesus but if i'm a christian i just kind of believe there's a god and go with the flow and, and do what i want to do and but that's not what the bible says in acts three nineteen. When Peter's talking there, he says, Repent then and turn to God. Right. right? There's a sense of like, have a mind change, but also make sure that you also turn to Him. No. That there's a acknowledge- acknowledgement that, look, He is now my King. I must submit to Him every day. What can I do to serve Him? Not what's best for me, what's best for Jesus. Um, and so, and we, it's confused today. And C.S. Lewis has a really good. Um, in Mere Christianity, he talks about how words can lose their meaning. Today, Christian can mean anything. Belief can mean anything. But what does the Bible say it means? And that's what matters. I'll read to you a little excerpt here from Mere Christianity. I've cut it down, so bear with me. But but it's really good what what C.S. Lewis is saying here. And so he says, people ask... Who are you to lay down who is and who is not a Christian? Or may not many a man who cannot believe these doctrines be more a Christian than some who do believe in these doctrines? And so here he goes on and he's going to make a connection between the word gentleman and Christian and how the word gentleman has had this like shift over time. The word gentleman originally meant something recognizable. One who had a coat of arms... And some land, landed property. So some property. When you called someone a gentleman, you were not paying him a compliment, but just stating a fact. If you said he was not a gentleman, you were not insulting him, but just giving him information. Right? And so he's trying to compare here. Right. If, if you call someone a Christian, it's not an insult. You're just stating a fact. Have they believed and turned to the Lord? It's a yes or no question. And he says here, But ah, but surely the important thing about a gentleman is not the coat of arms and the land, but the behavior. Ooh, And you hear that today, right? Well, that person's more of a Christian because he acts like one. But that's not what I it mean. It's not just that. To call a man a gentleman in this new refined sense becomes not a way of giving information, but of praising him. To deny he is a gentleman becomes a way of insulting him. As a result, gentleman is now a useless word. We had lots of terms of approval already, so it was not needed for that use. On the other hand, if anyone wants to use it in its old sense, he cannot do so without explanations. It has been spoiled for that purpose, which is kind of like what we're doing today with Christian. Now, if once we allow people to start spiritualizing and refining, or that, as they might say, deepening the sense of the word Christian, it too will become a useless word. And this is C.S. Lewis 70 years ago. it will become in their mouths simply a term of praise. In calling anyone a Christian, that will mean that they think him a good man. But that way of using the word will be no enrichment of the language, Language, for we already have the word good, for a good man. Meanwhile, the word Christian will have been spoiled for any really useful purpose it might have served. Yes, well said C.S. Lewis. But what he said... Has become true. Christian is a useless word. It can mean from you just acknowledge there's a God to you're someone who's like giving your heart to him. And, but back then it was like these guys looked like Christ. They believed and had turned. And that was their conversion. And that's why they were called Christians. So are you a Christian? <laughs> Have you believed in the Lord? And because of that encounter, you've turned to him. And he's the only one you turn to. right? That there is this mind shift. That it's not just an acknowledgement. You're not just here on a Sunday. But your life is ever more seeking. How can I please God? How can I please him in my life? How can I spread this news about him? Because that's what these men had done. They'd gone to Cyprus and Cyrene. They'd spread the news. Then there's people who turn to the Lord. And Antioch just becomes the, like a pivot for the early Christian church. Saul, and Paul will start many of his missionary journeys from there, Amen. and so it's not an insult. It may just be a fact, calling someone not a Christian or not. Um, but today we get so tolerant, and oh, I don't want to say anything bad to that person. It's not. It's not. You know. It's, that's not what it's about. It's not an insult. Right? What does the word Christian really mean? Believe and turn to Him. Uh, but even for us people who would say, yeah. I 've turned to God before I became a Christian. sometimes I think we need to turn to him again. It's not just one moment in my life I turned, and that's it. you know I know when Megan and I got engaged, I wasn't the perfect man. I know so it's a little confusing, but I wasn't like I've still had a bit of work to do, um, and I still do praise God amen but I remember i was on the phone with with a brother and i couldn't get this whole thing like okay so megan is going to become the most important in my life i'm meant to submit to her and love her as christ love the church okay um so i want to do this and i want to do this thing and and i didn't understand how can i reconcile the, both those two things and the brother said on the phone he said brandon you know maybe you just have to die to yourself again Maybe it's just another time in your life you need to say, "Look, this is what you want," but your whole worldview needs to be flipped on its head again. Uh, and even for us disciples, there's a sense of sometimes we we need to do a return. You know, like when you were going the right way, you turned around. Wait, you need to turn again. Um, I remember I was on the phone with a brother. Lots of good phone calls um, you can have. And he said to me, "You know what? I may not be the smartest guy. I may not be whatever." But he said, "You know what?" This was his words. There is no one who repents better than I do. And I was like, hey man. Like. But, but I like that he saw himself that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the man to turn. I'm going to be the man no matter what. That if I'm a Christian, I'm a man who will continually turn to Jesus. Continually die to what I think is best. Um, and so even for us, that's something we have to think about. is Okay, if we know, if we know that Jesus is Lord, does our life prove it? And we'll see here, we'll read the last little section from verse 27 to 30. And we'll talk about their mark of genuineness. So that's my last point here, a mark of genuineness. In verse 27 to 30, it says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples as each one was able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in judea this they did sending their gift to the elders by barnabas and saul and so a famine was coming their way and remember that barnabas was the man who he was called the son of encouragement because he had sold his field and so i kind of think it's awesome that they sent barnabas because this is the encouraging man Uh, He is the one who's already sold a field and being generous. Uh, So he could also be a leader with a great example for the early church, a life that they could imitate. But here was kind of like a little test. If these people had really turned to Jesus, Uh, not that their good works determine their salvation, but it proves if they're genuine in their faith. Because if they had really submitted to Jesus as king, there was no request too big. And on this foreign soil, with a new king named Jesus, they, sh- they proved genuine. And I'm sure the, the people in, in Judea would have been like, What? These guys are sending us money? These pagans from Antioch? They're coming to help out us who are going to be in famine or in need? Like, I just think that would have blown their mind when they realized, like, these guys are legit. These guys are really our brothers and sisters. Uh, God had really done it. God had conquered the foreign soil and he was now moving forward onto further foreign soil. Because these people, they would be genuine with their faith. They had really turned to Jesus. Uh, And I'm sure many people would have been like, oh, that stinking Agabus, why did she do that? You know, why did she prophesy I wouldn't have to give? You know, Agabus. I'm sure some of us, you know, it's easy to think like that. Like, uh, and he, he, but there was no complaining. And this was not like, you know, amen, you know, it's really encouraging, special contribution. right? We're going to be able to help out India here in Hampton Roads. But this, this here is unplanned giving. There's a famine. All right, what are you going to do? Because I think unplanned things really test people's convictions. Tomorrow, if if there was a brother or sister in need, are you going to give? Like That's going to test your genuineness. Uh, And for them, this was a real test. And so uh, I was reading a commentary and he he was talking about that uh, the Greek mission is authenticated by good works. That the deeds prove the authenticity of the convert. Because if they were reluctant, you might be like, did they really get it? Did they really understand that Jesus was meant to be Lord? And so it proved their character. I remember for me even uh, when I was a teen, it wasn't that long ago, but when I was a teen, uh, I remember that for some reason where we were, it was like, look, teens, because you have a busy schedule, maybe you don't need to come to midweek sometimes, uh, but just make sure you're there on Fridays. Like Fridays is more important. Uh, And it was kind of like portrayed to us like that. Like you guys don't have to go to midweek, but just... You know, Friday is really important for you to be there, so make that the priority. Now, I just remember thinking, like, why wouldn't I want to go to midweek? (laughs) Why wouldn't I want to go, like, if I get to see brothers and sisters, if I get to give, uh, hear the word, why wouldn't I go to midweek? Um, And I just knew in my heart, like, that was the attitude that that I had. Um, And I still kind of have, um, it's kind of, no, I do, I try to, but... (laughs) Even for you, when there's unplanned things, when things could be easier in your life, do you choose, hey, actually, what does God want? Like, what? how can I serve Jesus in this moment? Or does your mind think, yeah, you know what? I would like midweek off. That'd be really good, actually. I kind of need a free night. Um, where does your mind go? Because for these guys, they could have been like, look, there's a need, but I have to look after myself yeah. before I can, you know. But for these guys decided to give, and it proved... Who they really were. really were. Um, so I so ask for you. What are you reluctant to give? Is there anything that would kind of hinder you from doing this? Maybe it's your time, your money, your reputation, your career. Is there something that's taking you away from your relationship with God? Do you need to die to something all over again? Because whatever it is, God's calling you. He, he's, he's brought all of us here today. The foreign soil. Most of us here are Gentiles. He's conquered kingdoms already in ages past. And he's asking you today, are you genuine? Or, or you just have like a, what they call today, belief. Are you a Christian? But there's no real turning to Jesus. And so consider... God has this incredible plan to the Gentiles. And he has shown us what it means to be a true Christian. Reflect on your own life. Is that you? Does your life look so radically different from that moment you encountered Jesus that there is no doubt that you turned to the Lord? Or are you kind of sitting there like, I'm not really sure when I became a Christian. Because that's probably a sign. Well, if you turn to the Lord, it's this huge mind shift, life changing. And I hope that you really consider for your life if that's happened. Because that is God's desire for you. And He's calling you on all foreign soils, wherever you're at. Yeah. And so, yeah. Amen. To God be the glory. Amen.